All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you here today. It's good to get started here. Thanks for being here. Hey, I want to just, uh, a couple quick uh, extra things I need to let you know about. Uh, so in two weeks, uh, the same day that we're doing our volunteer appreciation at night, in the morning, uh, we call it our Vision Sunday, and that's where we just look ahead. What's God calling us to in the year ahead? Um, and this, this summer, actually, we're actually celebrating, this is Seacoast's 35th anniversary. Can you believe it? So, um, and so we're going to be talking about, yeah, that's kind of a cool thing. We're going to celebrate, but we're not celebrating yet. We're waiting until August. But, um, but we are going to talk about what's God inviting us to for the next 35 years. And, what's, and so this sun, uh, then in two weeks is when we kind of think about that. We also have part of our constitution. We use that day to approve our budget, uh, which uh, on that Sunday as well. So it's a little bit of business, but it's mostly vision and the business of what God's inviting us to, which we love that. Um, and then... Uh, this Thursday, I want to let you know there is a Q&A night. For those of you interested in some of the details of, um, and the Q&A night about a budget is messy. It's messy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the Q&A night is uh, about the budget this Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, look for a, a link being sent out tomorrow to invite you to be a part of that if you're interested in, in that aspect of uh, the church. All right, so... I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Uh, if you are new to Scripture, good news. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so you just have to turn the, the cover over and you're, get, you're on your way to find it. We are in a series called Messy Faith. And as we're looking at this series called Messy Faith, we're answering the question, can I be a Christian if I struggle with, and there's different issues. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at anxiety and depression. What does it mean if you're a Christian struggling with that? Uh, then we looked at the idea of sin. And can I be a Christian if I struggle with sin? That keeps popping up in my life. Last week, we approached uh, the issue of doubt. And what does it look like to be a Christian and struggle with doubt? And by the way, the answer to all these questions is yes. You can be a Christian if you struggle with those things. So we're really um, answering the question, what does it look like as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, who's struggling with those things? And I think the subject today is one that is relevant to all of us. It's one of those most universal ones that we're dealing with. So if the previous weeks, if you thought, you know, for you, maybe you don't struggle with anxiety and oppression. Maybe um, if, if you don't sin, uh, that one, if you uh, never have doubt... And, and then, but no matter what, I think this week is one we can all relate to. And today it's, can I be a Christian and struggle with forgiveness? What does it mean when someone has harmed us or said something or did something that we're kind of hanging on to? And how do we get to a place where we can forgive? Or maybe you're the one who needs forgiveness. And so today we're going to look at that a little bit. Because I believe it's one of those universal principles that applies to all of us and anyone who even doesn't believe in God. Forgiveness is something that people have to kind of process through and work through. And we're living in a world now where forgiveness is, it's kind of, true forgiveness is becoming very rare. We're in cancel culture. We're in payback culture. We're in the I'm not going to forgive you until you prove yourself kind of culture. So we want to look at what does real forgiveness look like and how do we move towards that? Uh, there was, uh, I heard a story about a pastor who was talking about forgiveness and even said how God's called us to love our enemies. And he asked the church and said, how many of you um, have ever, ever had to forgive an enemy? And, you know, a bunch of hands went up and then, 
Then he said, well, how many of you don't even have any enemies? And one hand went up. And it was a little old lady. And he invited her up and said, we want to learn your secret. So she came to the front. And uh, she was 98 years old. And he says, okay, you must have this life wisdom that you're 98 years old and now you can say you don't have any enemies. He goes, what's the secret to a life where you don't have any enemies? And she just said, I've outlived them all. So... So sometimes, so we all are going to have interactions in our lives that we, we're going to have people that we struggle with. And sometimes it's just temporary. Sometimes there are moments that come up. And sometimes you, some of you have real, you would say, man, I just have trouble with this person in my life. It might be a family member, it might be a neighbor, a coworker, or something like that. So what can we learn about forgiveness? We know that Jesus talked about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18. Peter asked him, he said, how many times should I forgive someone? In other words, if this, if this person keeps messing up, how many times should I forgive them? And Jesus said, 70 times seven. 70 times seven times. In other words, that was a very Hebraic way of saying, as often as they ask you and come to you, you should forgive them. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, was teaching us how to pray in what we call the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, he says, teach us, God, forgive our, our sins or forgive our debts as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, he says, be kind to others and forgive them just as you have been forgiven. So we know throughout Scripture that we're called to be people who learn to forgive. But it doesn't always come easy, would you agree? And so how do we get there? And today we're going to answer this question. This is the big question we're going to deal with. I guess it's two questions, but how should we forgive and why should we forgive? Well, we kind of want to walk out of here answering that question. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk through the story of one character in the Bible in the book of Genesis. We're not going to be able to read it all. There's a long story. And then we're going to end our time here this morning uh, hearing a story from someone at Seacoast who wrote a book that can relate to us, and we want to highlight that. And so for us, though, as we walk through, we're going to look at the life of Joseph and what he, how, what he learned about forgiveness. Now let me just give you the gist of his story really quickly. Joseph is a character in the Bible. He's one of 12 brothers. So some of you grew up in a big family. Could you imagine having 12 brothers, not to mention the sisters? That's an opportunity for conflict. Would you agree? So, so he grew up, he was um, 11 out of 12 brothers. And uh, we know that he has this dream at this one point in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. And his dream is that one day that he will rise to a level of prominence and his family will actually bow down to him, or in other words, that he will have more importance kind of politically than they will. To which his brothers are like, you think we're ever going to be under you? We're going to bow down to you? I don't think so. Fast forward. There's a day Joseph is 17 years old. His brothers are out in a field. He's coming to visit them, to check on them. His dad sent him out there. His brothers see Joseph coming across the field from a distance. And they say this, here comes that dreamer who has these dreams that someday he's going to be important. I got an idea. Let's kill him. How is that for brothers, right? Now, I know some of you grew up with siblings and you've wanted and threatened to kill your siblings, but mostly that's just 
that's being siblings, right? What that just, it doesn't mean, these guys actually meant, yeah, no, seriously, let's kill him. <laughs> and the oldest one who didn't want to do it, he actually talked some sense into him. He says, no, 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 let's not do that. Why would we do that? Let's just throw him in this well, in this cistern, and leave him there. He thought he'd come back and rescue him later. They thought, great idea, let's just throw him in there. So they throw him in a well, and then they sit down and have lunch. The, the picture is just, think of if you've ever locked a sibling like in a closet or something. It'd be like you're doing that and then you're sitting out there like, let's get a snack while, while they're in there banging on the door. That's the picture of what's happening. None of you would ever have done that, but if you've heard. Anyway, so they're out there and then they see this, this band of traitors, not traitors, but traitors who are bringing spices and stuff. They're coming across and they say, let's not leave him in the well. Let's sell him. Again, some of you have threatened to sell your siblings. I get it. They did it. They actually sell him, and he's taken down to Egypt now as a slave. So if anyone has a reason to hold some gr- a grudge and bitterness, this would, be, this would be one. This would be a moment in your life when you think, yeah, that was kind of not cool. <laughs> so he's sold into slavery. He gets down to Egypt. He rises up in prominence in the house of the guy he's serving. The guy's name was Potiphar. His wife, who we know in Scripture is Potiphar's wife. <laughs> That's her name. And, and so uh, she actually tries to seduce him. He's upright. He's righteous. He goes, I'm not going to sin against the Lord. I'm not sinning against my master. I'm not doing that with you. She feels rejected. She turns it around and makes it look like he tried seducing her and sleeping with her. And so he, she gets Joseph arrested and thrown into prison. If ever you have a reason to hold a grudge and feel bitter, this would be one of them. Joseph, who's doing the right thing, is thrown into prison, falsely accused. Now in prison, we see that he rises up in prominence once again. Now we're in Genesis chapter 40. He interpret, and, and then there's a couple other prisoners who come in. In fact, it says Joseph, not only did he rise up and was trusted within the prison, he was caring for the other prisoners. One day there was two who worked directly for Pharaoh. They got thrown into prison. And he looked at them and he says, why are you so downcast? What's going on? Like he's counseling his fellow prisoners. And they give him a dream. He interprets the dreams, and he says, hey, if this comes true, when this comes true, would you just remember me? Would you put a good word in for Pharaoh? I've been telling people that I'm innocent, and and I'm in here. I want to show you that the Lord is with me. So would you remember me? And the the cupbearer of Pharaoh was the one who said, I will remember you. Don't worry. The dream comes through, true. The cupbearer forgets about Joseph, not just for three days. For two years, he forgot about him. He said, oh, I promise I won't forget you. He forgot about him until the cupbearer needed him again. When Pharaoh had a dream and was getting very agitated, starting to get upset, nobody can interpret this. He said, oh, that's right. There was this guy I used to know, this little Hebrew I was in prison with. The Lord was with him, and he can kind of help out with stuff like this. If ever there was a reason to hold a grudge and to be bitter, it would be being forgotten about for two years in prison by someone who promised they wouldn't. Joseph has had things stacked against him. And so as we look at his life, the question I have is, how did he get to that point? That later on, he actually 
meets his brothers again. Joseph, what happens is he gets, rises up. He becomes second in command next to Pharaoh. He foresees this uh, famine. They start storing all the food ahead of time because they know a famine's coming, and then they're able to provide food for Egypt and the surrounding nations. So there's great wisdom in Joseph's life. So he rose all the way up. Through that story, he met his brothers again. His brothers thought, we sold him when he was 17. We haven't seen him since. Here he is now, 20, 30 years later. We don't know. And he's in charge of all of Egypt. They do not think that's Joseph, but he meets his brothers and he actually get, puts a test to them, kind of see if they're repentant. Eventually, he comes, kind of reconciles with them. And he gets to the point to say this. In Genesis chapter 50, he's already met his brothers again. He's met his father again. They've been restored. And then his father dies. And when his father dies, his brothers say this. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. They say, when Joseph's brothers seen that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back in full for, look at this, all the wrong in which we did to him? See, they understand that everything they did, they deserved not forgiveness, but some sort of consequence. And they thought, now that our dad is gone, what if he's still holding a grudge? What if, you know, Joseph has more power than anyone ever will that we know of. Now we're in trouble. But then Joseph, in verse 19 and 20, says this to his brothers. Don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is an incredible statement, isn't this? You meant this for evil, God meant it for good. But how did he get to that point in his life where he could see all of the things that happened to him and say, now I can see how God used those? I promise you it was a journey. We don't get to see the, the inner wrestlings of his heart. We don't get to see how he got there. But all we know is that he's be sold by his brothers, betrayed by his brothers. He's uh, tricked and actually falsely accused by his master's wife. He's forgotten by a friend. And that led to years and years and years of rejection. Years and years and years of just feeling like, why is everything against me? Somehow from that point to this point in his life, he's able to say, I now have confidence and who God is and what he's doing in and through my life. So we need to learn, how do we get there? How did Joseph learn to forgive? So before we can get to that, let me, let's just answer a few questions. First is this, what is forgiveness? When we talk about forgiveness, what is it? And uh, we want to give you this definition today. Forgiveness is this, it is the decision to no longer hold a debt against the debtor. So forgiveness is a decision to no longer hold a debt against the debtor, meaning somebody did something that has incurred a cost. Now, there's some obvious examples. There's if someone steals something from you or whatever. Um, there's the subtle examples that we experience all the time. It might be someone talked badly about you. Maybe someone at work uh, did something that cost you money or cost you a reputation. It's those things. It incurs a debt. There, there's a price, and forgiveness is willing to absorb that cost. It's not saying you pay it back. If you pay it back, now we're good. That's called a transaction. 
And that's that person paid their own debt. No, somebody, the one who's forgiving is actually taking and absorbing that cost. You can think of it this way. It's a, a small example, but one that's very tangible. When we were living in Israel, uh, one of the things we went up into our apartment and we would take off our shoes. Everyone in our apartment typically would do that and we left them on our doorstep. It's inside a locked building and you go into your, your apartment and do your thing. We came out one day and I have three little kids and all of our shoes were gone. Someone stole our shoes. Now, they, they weren't even, these are like shoes of three boys, so it's not like they were still in fantastic shape. They probably weren't worth, they weren't like Air Jordans or anything. But you know how, how, how violating does it feel when someone takes something that's yours? I don't care how much it costs. I felt, we felt so violated, like, who took our shoes? When my neighbors left that day, I just kind of sat at the porch and looked at everyone's feet as they walked by, you know, like, someone needs to pay for these things. Well, what happened is we had to go buy new shoes, and we had to find our way and navigate and figure out the sizes and Hebrew and all that stuff and, and, and get the shoes. Now, we had to get to a point where it, it's funny how something like that, you just, it kind of eats you up for a while. Why would someone take my shoes? Why would someone do that? We had to get to a point where we need to forgive whoever that is. And we absorbed the cost. We had to buy new shoes, so we paid for it. Now, if I found them and said, you need to buy me new shoes, that's not forgiveness. That's just making amends. See the difference? Now, where's the biggest example of someone incurring a cost on our behalf? It's Jesus. Where Jesus, actually, literally, our sinfulness makes us unholy in the sight of a holy God. We are unholy people in the sight of a holy God. So then, therefore... God, we, our sin separates us from him. Jesus wanted to reconcile the world to himself. And, and sometimes we get caught up in thinking like, oh, God was so angry, he wanted to punish someone, so he had to find someone to, pay, to punish. No, Jesus said, I'm going to incur this debt. It's not because there's this angry God who can't, just can't wait to get even with you. It's because God so loved us. He said, they have a price that they've incurred, a debt that they have that they can't pay. I am going to go down, God the Son, Jesus comes and takes it upon himself. A cost to our sin results in forgiveness. Somebody has to pay for forgiveness, and it's the one who forgives. You tracking with me on that? So when we're thinking of forgiveness, it's the decision to no longer hold a debt against the debtor. And it always costs somebody something. The removal of a debt costs somebody. Now, for some of you, many of us here, it's on small things. It might be reputation. It might be that someone started talking about you. Maybe they misunderstood you. Maybe they understood you, and they still went slandering and telling everyone, did you know this person is like this? And they start damaging your reputation. If you are to forgive that person, you're actually taking on the cost of a damaged reputation, but forgiving them of that debt. It costs you something to actually forgive them. In the context of a marriage, there are times you might feel wronged by your spouse or any relationship. You're wronged by someone. It costs you something to say, you know what, I'm willing to forgive you. It might cost you whatever it is, some emotional cost or whatever, but you are willing to say, I'm taking that on because I love you and I'm forgiving you for this. So that's what we, when we think of forgiveness, that's what we're talking about. Now, what 
forgiveness is not a few things. I want you to just know for today that forgiveness is not, and I'm going to give you a few things that we don't think that it is, especially in the context of today. Which by today, when we've been, I was studying this the last couple of weeks and realized this needs to be a sermon series, not a sermon. So we're not going to answer everything for you today. It's just going to be high level. But here's a few things. Forgiveness is not ignoring a sin. So if someone harms you, ignoring it is, that's not the same thing as forgiveness. Now, there are things you do need to learn to ignore. Though, by the way, if you're driving on the freeway, someone cuts you off, they sinned against you, you get angry, you say, I'm following them home so that they can apologize to me. You need to let it go, okay? You just need to let it go. Just, it's okay. We don't, you don't know their story. They cut you off. Um, I know, just like I've told you before, I'm the world's best driver, but, uh, and they are not. But sometimes, you, we don't know. Sometimes you've got to let it go, right? There are little things that sometimes you think someone sinned against you, but it's your issue, not theirs. I know, you know, when you first get married, you find all of those little issues, and you think, how are you not learning this? You're like, well, this because it's your problem, not theirs. Right? It, it might be little things. I, I know in my marriage, my wife, this was back when we used to have CDs. Remember CDs? Um, before everything was digital? She never knew how to put the CD back in the right case. I got to work through that in my heart. <laughs> no, and I realized at one point, like, you know what? This is really my issue, not hers. She can learn. She can get better, but it's easy for me to go like this. Doop, right case. Okay. Don't need to make it a big deal. So sometimes we need to let it, let it go. But, there are, but that's true forgiveness on real issues is not just ignoring a sin. Tim Keller wrote a book recently called Forgive. And we don't always highlight or recommend books necessarily, but if this is an issue you're struggling with, I want to recommend that to you. It's typical Tim Keller, a lot of good information in there. And it talks a lot about getting your vertical relationship with God right first. But in forgive, talking about forgiving, he says this. It is not a loving thing to allow someone to continue in sin. It is not forgiving to never address it and just let it keep going. Sometimes we excuse a wrong thinking it is forgiving, but it's not. So this is, forgiveness is not just saying, oh, it's whatever, I just, I need to learn to deal with it. No, if someone's wronging you and they're continuing to do that, especially if it's a repetitive thing, Forgiveness is not just ignoring it. You need to address it. It's loving. If it's sinful, it's loving to actually bring it up. Uh, forgiveness is not restoring all trust. Trust build, Rebuilding trust takes time. And this is, uh, as the smaller the issue, the quicker, more quickly, and the depth of your relationship, you can rebuild trust. Again, in a marriage, you will have conflict from time to time. If you have kids, you have conflict with them from time to time. I've heard it happens before. And so as you have those conflicts, the longer you're in marriage and the more you learn to trust each other, you can rebuild that trust pretty quickly. If someone, you know, they say something that hurts you, you're able to say, I know you, I know the place it's coming from, and that hurt me. Okay, would you forgive me? Yes, and you can move on. That can be quick, that's more quick, you can do that more quickly. Wow, I just got stuck for a second. As that trust, that relationship, the depth of the relationship. But there are some things that are going to take time. And this is where I need to address, and we're not going to get deep into it. But if someone is doing something that's harming you, abusive, something like that, forgiveness is not saying like, okay, never mind, I'll go straight back to you. I have to forgive you. 
there has to be trust rebuilt, and sometimes it might not ever get there. And so forgiveness is not blindly going back into a situation that's harmful and sinful, okay? So I I just need to say that. I don't want someone to come here today and leave and think, oh, the Christian thing to do is to go back to someone who's not, who's living in sin and who's harming me constantly. The loving, the Christian thing to do is not to go back to that. You have to address it. You have to confront it in those issues, and it takes time to rebuild trust. If the person's repentant, there's hope, but it takes time. Um, forgiveness is not, and I want you to hear this, and it, reconciliation without justice. So just because the goal of forgiveness is to reconcile, well, I do believe that's a godly thing to do to, to restore relationships. Some relationships are, are never going to be de- deeply restored, but can be restored. And you want to reconcile. As Christians, we, we want to reconcile with people. We want to have relationships that are healed, but that's not always possible, especially if the other person's not in on it. But that does not mean that they never experience justice. And again, we're talking about, in this case, crimes. And this isn't you enacting your own justice. And this isn't if someone's gossiping about you or slandering you. That's called cancel culture. That is not forgiveness, and that's not the justice I'm talking about. I'm kind of, are you, I, I hope you're kind of getting tired of cancel culture as well. And by the way, Christians, I don't know if we started it, but we're pretty good at it too in the church. So let's not just blame culture. We cancel each other when we don't agree and when they've wronged us. That's different. That's like, I'm going to bring my justice because I don't like what you did or said or I misunderstood you. That's different. We're talking about crimes that are committed. There's a justice system that is part of reconciliation happens when there's justice. I just want to, there's a, uh, Fleming Rutledge talked about this, talking about abuse situations and how we find forgiveness. Says this, human justice presents the abuser an opportunity to come face to face with the reality and severity of his or her sin. It is a call to the abuser to repent, to side with God and the victim, and condemn the evil that they have perpetrated. True repentance does not use their repentance as an excuse to escape justice or to make demands of their victims. True repentance involves acknowledging the harm they have done and the rightness of the punishment. So just because you forgive, it doesn't mean that someone who's committed a crime or doing something against you or others, that they're off the hook. And, And the reason I need to say that is because I know in a room like this, some of you are in that situation right now. And, and we know there's, there's some complicated issues there. But for most of us, forgiveness, what we're dealing with here today, a, a lot of us, we're dealing with those small things. How do we get to a point where we are able to release, where we're able to trust that God is in it? So now let's look at why we should forgive and then what that looks like. So the first question is, why should we forgive? True forgiveness, why should we incur a debt on someone else? That's a question we want to deal with. Joseph was able to do that. Joseph got himself to the point in his life where he was able to fully forgive. He didn't bring justice on his brothers that he could have because something happened in his life to get to a point where he didn't have to do that. In fact, when he meets his brothers again in Genesis chapter 45, This is an opportunity you would think his brothers find out he's in charge over Egypt. If you're one of the brothers, you're thinking, oh, this is a bummer. (laughs) This is not going to go well. And Joseph says, I want you to go find 
Go tell our father that I'm alive. Look what he says to his brothers in verse 9. He says, hurry and go to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. Now this is an opportunity that he could say, hey, I'm in Egypt because your son sold me here. (laughs) They lied to you. He could say all that, but what does he say? God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. What? This is an opportunity for Joseph to make his case. This is an opportunity for him to enact his own justice against his brothers. This is an opportunity for him to say, this is where everyone, this is who pe- people who wronged me, now I just the truth needs to get out. But Joseph says, oh, come down. God has raised me up over Egypt. So how, what happened in his heart that he got there? Why did he get to the point where he could forgive? So why should we forgive like Joseph? Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you a few practical things. First one is this. One, forgive because you are forgiven. Forgive because you have been forgiven by God. It starts with our vertical relationship with God. It has to start there. If we don't start there, we forgive the way the world forgives, and that is almost always a transaction. Not always, but almost always. It's almost always a, hey, I'll forgive you if you prove yourself. I'll forgive you if you're willing to pay me back. Remember, that's not real forgiveness. But if we forgive because we say we have been forgiven by God. Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, he says, those who have been forgiven much, love much. In other words, the greater the depth of your understanding of what you've been forgiven of actually increases your ability to love and forgive others. So we want to get our vertical relationship with God straightened out where we can begin and say, we are so, we're forgiven and set free because of your great love for me, God, and I couldn't possibly pay back anything I've done. You took that debt on you. And so when we understand we have been forgiven, it gives us freedom to forgive others. We see this develop throughout Joseph's life. It's pretty incredible that at each step of his journey, and again, I don't have time today to give you all the verses, but we find every step, when he first was sold into slavery, he finds in Genesis chapter 39, verse 3, it says his master saw that the Lord was with him. When he was forgotten and then thrown into prison, uh, it says that in prison, they saw that the Lord was with him. In chapter 41, verse 16, Joseph is talking to Pharaoh, and he says, I can't do anything, but the Lord God is with me, and he will work through me with you. And so every step of his journey, we see that Joseph has grown to a point where he has this vertical relationship with God figured out. And, and I think it was a journey. I really do. I don't think he's sold into slavery, and, and you know, he's in that kind of that scene from Gladiator when he's first like taken on that you know, caravan, and he's, I don't think Joseph's in there like, this is amazing, Lord, thank you. This is great, I know you're with me. I think he's in there saying, if I ever get out of here and find my brothers, I'm gonna throw them, in. I'll show you. It's probably doing push-ups and like, when they see me again, oh man, right? But the Lord was with him. And each step, he got to see, Lord, how, wow, it's amazing how you showed up in this moment. He's thrown into prison, betrayed. They lied against him. You think he's just like, oh, shucks, that was a bad experience, huh? He's in prison. He's going, I did nothing wrong. 
Somehow the Lord raised him up in there. He developed this belief in that vertical relationship with God that strengthened him. So we forgive because we've been forgiven, and we, got, we have that relationship with God set. We have to start there. You will not have the strength doing it on your own. So why else do we forgive? Next thing is this, because it actually sets you free. Tony Evans says this, that holding, on a, holding a grudge is like a leash that is tied around your soul. As long as you are holding on to something that someone did to you in the past, the more you hold on to it, you are never truly going to be set free. Now, I want to tell you, it's a process, it's a journey. Some of you have forgiven, but you will be paying down that debt the rest of your life because it's going to pop up from time to time. You're going to get to a point where you fully have forgiven someone, and then a moment, a thought, something's going to pop in, and you're going to think, oh, here I am again. And you're reminded of the debt that you paid on their behalf. Oh, that betrayal was so deep. You get over it, but then a moment comes up, and you're like, oh, remember I was betrayed. You're going to be working through that sometimes your whole life. But it, ultimately, it does set you free. I love how Joseph says this when he meets his brothers in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. He looks at his brothers, and they're, they're still sitting there going, wait, you're Joseph? Like, you're Joseph, Joseph? You're like the one we sold into slavery, Joseph? Oh, man. <laughs> This is not good. And he says to him in verse 5, Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. What? He's releasing them from their own condemnation on themselves. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Now get this. For God sent me ahead of you to save lives. In other words, Joseph is saying, you sold me here, but God sent me here. Some, he's got to the point where he has set them free from what they did and say, I know what you did. What you did was wrong, but God was with me through that. And so you sold me, but God sent me. And he's set free. He's let go of that. And now he's living in this freedom. Some of you today are living in this bondage of, a, of something you're hanging on to. Somebody harmed you, and you're just hanging on to it. And you know you're not free. And when you think of that person, your heart just goes, oh. You feel the chain just wrap around you. We want to grow to a point where we can truly incur that debt on their behalf set free. So we forgive because we're forgiven. We forgive because we're set free through, through it. And then, this is the last one. We forgive because vengeance is in the hands of the Lord. We forgive because we don't have to stand in the place of God and pay it back. It's in, we can say, God, you are the one. Jesus says, don't judge. Let God be the judge. And you just sit there and trust that you've been forgiven so you can forgive others. And vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not yours. You're not going to do it well. You're imperfect. You have flaws. You've messed things up yourself. And so we get to the point where we can say, God will work. He'll work through those details. I don't have to. I don't have to make them pay. And he, let me just tell you this. Some of us say we've forgiven someone. Let's say they talk badly about you. Maybe that's happened to you. We've all had it, right? Anyone who's been in junior high has had that happen to them. <laughs> we say we forgive that person. But sometimes we have subtle ways of still making them pay instead of incurring it. We might be, oh, that person harmed me, but I forgave them, and they were kind of like, who knows, you know, no one's perfect, but you know what they did? They did this. I'm just telling you, but I've forgiven them. You know what you're doing? 
you're actually tearing them down. You're trying to make sure that their reputation is damaged too. True forgiveness is, yeah, I've forgiven that person. Do you know about, so-and-so said this about you, like, oh, yeah, I've heard some things, but I've forgiven them. We're all imperfect people. God can work out what he needs to work out if he's going to. So vengeance is in God's hands. Joseph says this, am I in God's place? And by the way, if you read the story of his brothers, they had some rough go. (laughs) They experienced some of the consequences of their decisions. We're going to end our time. I want to bring some uh, Haley Lyle up to share a little story uh, with you. And come on up, Haley. And as she comes up, I want to give you just, I'm going to put these on the screen. This is from Tim Keller's book. I think it's really helpful just for you to look at. Um, here's four things that, that are how to forgive. We're not going to unpack them today. I just want you to see them. Uh, when we think of forgiving, there's a few things you can do. One, you want to name the debt. What, what harm was done to you? Name it. The next one is this. We want to recognize that we are all sinful. So we recognize, okay, I'm not perfect. Uh, They're not perfect. So you want to acknowledge who they are. Then you want to release them from absorbing the debt. So again, I release you from absorbing the debt. That doesn't mean I'm going to damage your reputation then just subtly. Okay? You're released. And then uh, finally on that is aim for reconciliation. And again, there are situations that are going to take time. They're not easy if the other person's not receptive. Those are different issues uh, that we'll talk about, uh, or we'll, we'll give you steps at the end of the service if you need help with that. But so those are things I just want you to recognize, to see that can be there um, as part of this process. So as we end our time, I want to introduce you to Haley. And uh, Haley uh, was at one point, we sent her as a missionary to India, and she worked with an organization that was working with human rights. And uh, while she was there, she uh, had a lot of great experiences, but met someone that she went on to write a story um, about this person that you met. And the, the book you wrote, you have here with you today, is called The Barefoot yep. King. Yeah, so let us know a little bit about uh, what is the Barefoot King and what, what can we learn from it? Awesome, yeah. So um, just going back when I was um, in India, um, I just want to say a big thanks to Seacoast because it was kind of a combined effort of Seacoast as an organization, the global outreach team, and individuals at Seacoast that really supported me in going and getting to work with this organization and was praying for me a ton and encouraging me along the way. And all of that really carried over into this project too. Um, And so just a big thank you to all of you guys because you all played a huge part in this happening. So... That's great. Yeah, it was yeah. so fun to hear your updates when you were over there. Then you came back and then had some time to work on this book where I uh, did a great job with it. And so tell us about the title, Barefoot King. Yeah, so um, Barefoot King is all about this man named Raj who I was working with. It's his life story. And he is essentially what you would call a Dalit or an untouchable. Um, they're this group of people in India. If you've heard of the caste system at all, they're so low that they're not even considered part of the caste system. Um, And one of the ways that that plays out, there's a lot of different restrictions put around them, but they're not allowed to wear shoes. Mm -hmm. And so Raj, being born into this group, um, the name Barefoot comes from that, uh, where he was not allowed to wear shoes as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, The second part of the name, plays into also these restrictions where 
you're not even allowed to name your kids names that are outside of your caste system. So when he was, a, when he was born, his parents named him after a Hindu god, um, and that was his name. And if he went on to do anything in life, people would know that he was an untouchable because of his name. And when he went to um, school for the first time, the teacher happened to actually be Christian, and she didn't like his name because it was a Hindu god. And so she actually gave him a new name um, that was Raj, which means king. Hmm. And in changing his name in that moment, she gave him a massive opportunity to changing what he could do in the future because his cast would at least be masked by that layer of his name. Um, so it's just one of the many, many ways that God um, changed his destiny mm. um, through these little pieces of grace. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. And can you imagine if your name, people automatically know where you fit in society and you're an untouchable based on your name. So identity, again, is, is changed. And then uh, he later he's introduced to Christ. And then how does that start to shape his life? So Raj um, was actually a sponsor kid. And I know there's many people here in this room that have sponsored children around the world. Um, whether it's through World Vision, Compassion International, um, he was a part of one of these organizations, and that's how he met Jesus. And through especially one of the workers in this organization, who is a North Indian man, um, loved Jesus, treated him like nobody had ever treated him before. Um, and really through that, Raj met Jesus. Um, transformed his life and he used that actually to start transforming his village mm. and that spread to nearby villages and pretty soon he was a big leader in the area just at 16 years old um, because his identity and understanding of who he was and his worth had been so transformed by Jesus. That's amazing yeah and and part of his story um, when you read the book <laughs> if you read the book, you'll find that uh, even as a Christian, then he still experienced some betrayal and, and this uh, need even just kind of processing through just being classified as an untouchable, then becoming a Christian and seeing how even some of the Christians who were stuck in this system were struggling uh, and, and pressured and sometimes treating him, diff, you know, not fairly. And so he had to kind of process through his own forgiveness in that. So tell us a little bit about yeah, how so he got there. forgiveness really is one of the best topics for this book, too. Um, and honestly, one of the things that drew me to this story is I feel like when it comes to justice, seeking justice in our culture right now, forgiveness hasn't been a part of that anymore. And yet, I think it's one of the most critical components, and it's what's ultimately letting God bring that justice in a way that can actually bring life and reconciliation out of all of that. Um, and so, in Raj's story, um, he goes through a lot because of his caste. Um, at one point, because he's a leader, people from the high caste in his village um, beat him up almost to the point of death. And um, so he has to deal with that. He has then out of that the church siding with caste versus justice and betraying him through that. Um, he has his own mentor 
betray him. Um, and a lot of that plays into he's in a broken system and the people with power are threatening these people to side with them instead of siding with justice. Um, and so it's a very messy situation. Um, and sometimes it looks like, will justice even happen? Um, but it's amazing to see doing that God's way and by Raj trusting God, he's free to forgive. And he doesn't, I mean, he wouldn't be able to control the outcomes, but he doesn't have to either. He can really trust the Lord to do that and mm -hmm. take care of him. And because he does that, it just changes everything where what comes out of that is actually justice and it is restorative and he has to forgive the church in a lot of ways but he is so blessed by that because he later finds his wife through that mm. and so it's just a beautiful way to see that in seeking justice you're also seeking the lord's heart the lord's with you in that and um there is so much blessing that can come out of forgiveness that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's great. So we, you know, uh, we don't have time to go. We'd love to talk all the way about it. And uh, like I said, this series or this sermon, we could have made into a series. We could uh, unpack this for, for quite a while. And we want to encourage you a couple things. One is uh, Haley will be in the back today. She has some of those books on sale. She didn't say that we have to do that. I said, we're doing that for you. I know um, we bought one for our friend for Christmas. He uh, read it right away and has, has recommended it to others, and then we have our copy at home. But if you're interested in this topic and, and just uh, supporting what Haley did, uh, she'll be in the back there. It's a great story, and it's really kind of practical to look through. And faith is messy. Would you agree? There's things that happen, and it's hard, and you, we don't always get it right. Remember, we're unfinished people living together among unfinished people. And so we're going we're gonna to mistreat each other from time to time. We're going to process through our own forgiveness and the hard things about it. So I want to encourage you um, to pick up a, a, a book uh, and uh, you know, support Haley in that. And uh, actually, you're doing something with those funds, uh, at least yeah. right now. So... Um our hope is to make this really accessible in India, too. So we're using the funds to translate this into Tamil, which is one of the big languages in the South, and Raj's native tongue. So that's first on the list. But yeah, all these funds today are going towards that. That's, that's great. So that's yeah. what they're doing now. And then when she makes it to Oprah's book club, then she gets to keep it. So, but, but for now, it's for that. So, um, well, you know, one of the things about this morning that as we end our time and thinking about forgiveness is we're going to end with communion because what better way to end our time of forgiveness and thinking about it than going back to the table and thinking of Christ uh, who incurred our debt and took it upon himself and paid it. And so for us, communion is our time to remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the bread represents his body that was broken for you and for me. And it also represents that a real body was laid into the tomb, but a real body came out of it, that he rose, confirming who he is. And so when we take that bread, we remember that life. We remember who he is. We remember how he lived, how he would forgive, how he taught us to love. We take the cup. The cup is a reminder of the blood that was shed for you and for me. That's the price he paid. And it's a covenant in his blood. It's a one-way promise that he makes to us. It's his way of saying, even when you break your promise, even when you sin and fall short, you can't undo the covenant I'm making through my blood with you.
So that's what communion is for us. And we're going to challenge, or we're going to invite you um, and this, during this song is to get up and to go to the tables, take the elements. If you want to do it as a family, if you want to do it as an individual, as a life group, however you want to do it, grab the elements. You can return to your seat or you can find a space around the room, pray, reflect, and, and take communion remembering Jesus. And for some of you, maybe you just need to start and remember how much you have been forgiven of the wrongs you've done to others, the failures in your own life to say, God, it's yours. And others of you, maybe there's a name, there's a situation, there's something that you just need to say, God, I, I'm not fully ready, or maybe I'm ready, but here, first step, let me just name it and give it to you. This situation where I need to forgive or I need forgiveness. And so take the time during this last song and then we'll, be, uh, we'll conclude our service. So uh, Haley, would you pray for us as we enter into a time of communion? Yeah, Lord, I just thank you so much that um, you hold all things in your hands, Lord. Um, you hold us and our future and our situations. And Lord, thank you that you have forgiven us and we have that freedom to forgive others. And Lord, thank you for for the blessing that comes out of that. Um, Lord, we just mm -hmm. ask you to touch our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts, God, to receive what you want to do in all of this, Lord.